Will you pray with me? Almighty God, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. We ask that you would grant your people, illumined by your word, that we might shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that the world would come to know of your incredible love in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're jumping right into it today from Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat immediately, a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with the chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and shouted at the top of his lungs, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there were on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The word of the Lord. New Year's Day, we were inspired by the Wittens to plan a family hike to the Hollywood sign that I think you guys had done like the day before, right? Um, And so I had this all planned out. Leave the house by noon, arrive at the trailhead by one, allow three hours for the six and a half mile out and back hike, be out of the park by sunset before the gate closes and locks you in, right? And then go eat a beef taco and a cheese enchilada at the Latigo Kid on the way home. Go to bed tired and happy, right? I had this day planned out perfectly. So I woke up nice and early, made some coffee, and I had a few hours before we were going to leave to get some sermon prep done. So I went out to my office to begin studying and taking some notes on today's text. I studied the text for a couple hours, I took a few pages of notes, and then it was time to go to Hollywood. We loaded up the kids and some snacks, we put the Mount Hood bandana on the dog, and we headed out. 
So we arrive at the trailhead, along with like a thousand of our closest friends. <laughs> we got off to a really shaky start. We waited in the parking lot for about 10 minutes with our blinker on to take a parking place. And a woman backed up in front of me, put her blinker on, and proceeded to take the parking place that we had waited for for about 10 minutes. My peeps were not happy with me or her, right? Um, trying to avoid a confrontation, we move on. Um, and another woman coming off the trail sees us and says, I've got one. I'm parked right there, 500 feet closer to the trailhead, by the way. <laughs> we watched her walk by. Anyway, feeling a little vindicated, right? We set out on the trail. We passed the parking lot thief like one minute into the hike. <laughs> After about an hour and 10 minutes, we make it up to the summit, right? The view of Los Angeles, if anyone has ever done this, is absolutely spectacular. And I wondered, why did it take me 20, 30, 30, 35 years? I don't know how long I've been here. Why did it take me so long to do this iconic hike? Now, as soon as we arrive at the top, this is where things started to get a little weird. I heard a man yelling belligerently at the top of his lungs, dropping F-bombs one after another. This guy, it didn't seem like. He wasn't mad at anyone in particular. He's just mad. He's having a bad day. He's having a bad beginning to his new year. Maybe he's just having a bad life. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. And I could hear him, and I resigned myself at that moment when I heard him that I needed to keep my family at a safe distance. So we snap our family selfie for the record books. We got a few pics of downtown LA and we're ready to head back down to the car. Every step from that point on would be one step closer to my beef taco and a delicious margarita, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> that was already now in the forefront of my mind, right? So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man, the F-bomb man, he suddenly appears out of nowhere, and he's walking by. And I turn my face away from him to try to avoid eye contact. I warned my family of his approach, and he passed by at that moment without incident. So we begin our descent. We've walked about a half a mile, and seemingly out of nowhere, this man jumps out of like the side of the mountain and, and appears flailing his arms wildly shouting at the top of his lungs, saying something to me that I have no idea what he's saying, okay? Not wanting to begin the new year with the conflict, I pick up my pace a little bit. I'm like, I'm just gonna keep walking, right? I'm gonna try to ignore this and, and see, see what happens. But I'm getting a little nervous at this point. And then something happened that left all of us in complete amazement and awe. And we're gonna start with this, okay. There's my dog, Winston. That, look at that face, anybody? Oh, man. Yeah, Linda, <laughs> yeah, they get, they're, they get this. Um, we, got, we got Winston because of Linda and Mark. Um, so here's, here's our dog, right? Um, there's a few things you probably need to know um, about Winston, right? Um, he's like the handsomest, smartest, snuggliest, most awesome dog in the world, all right? Just like look 
It, like, look at that face. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is ask him. He'd be the first to tell you how awesome he is. Trust me. Um, he, he knows he's, he's pretty cool. Um, and then some, this thing happened. So I'm trying to outpace this person. I'm trying to walk away from them to avoid this confrontation. And what I realized that this, I had a moment where I realized this isn't, this isn't working. <laughs> like, I'm going to need to stop and turn around and engage and see what happens. And I do that. And to my surprise, the rest of my family, thank you, I think, to Winston, Katie, right? He was eager to see my dog. And so Katie was holding the dog. And I turned around, and Katie was already stopped. And she was holding the dog. And when I turned around, this man was calmly knelt. He was kneeling down in the middle of the path. People are streaming by, going in both directions. And this man, in like complete silence and stillness, just leans down and is perfectly still. And I approached him, and I said, just so you know, my dog loves to lick people that he loves. And sure enough, this dog starts showering this guy with kisses all over his hands, he's kissing his face, like, I've not seen anything like this before, right? This dog, it was absolutely amazing. He did not make a sound in this entire encounter with the dog, complete stillness, as if, like, I thought, I'm like, this man for these moments was, the words that the scripture uses was in his right mind. This man was not in his right mind when I had seen him moments earlier, right? So this was honestly like, I, the only word I could think of was like, it's miraculous. This guy who was angrily dropping F-bombs at his fellow Angelians is now calm, subdued, content, seemingly, at least for these moments, transformed. It's one of the most vivid like epiphany moments I've ever had. Just a few hours before this encounter, I was studying this scripture that we just read about the man that Mark's gospel calls the Gerasene demoniac, okay? And I thought to myself in this moment, I'm like, I felt as if I was meeting the person that I was looking at and studying in the scriptures, meeting this person in, in person, in the flesh. We wish this man well. In complete stillness and silence, I honestly don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared. I mean, it's just, we did not understand. This is something that we did not understand. He literally just disappeared in complete quiet. You could hear this guy for a mile away. Trust me, we never heard a peep from him again. The only thing we could say was we had just witnessed this miracle, right? And so as soon as he kind of just disappeared, my daughters, you know, we had, we had to take some time to, like, we were asking the question, what just happened? What just happened? And the only word I could come up with is, it's just like this miracle, right? I was at a loss for words. I really don't know what just happened. All I could think about was that when we read the Gospels, this is what happens when Jesus is present. We've been seeing this so far in Mark's Gospel. And so Mark has Jesus in the region of the Gerasenes. What you need to know about that is the region of the Gerasenes is Gentile country, okay? Very important here most likely near this city called Gergesa, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And what had Jesus just done? He had just, they said he got out of the boat. Did you hear that at the very beginning? He had just calmed this violent storm, and now he meets a man with this equally violent storm inside of him. 
It's one of the most disturbing stories in Scripture. It actually reads like a horror movie. I'm surprised they haven't made this movie. Maybe they have. This tormented man, just, just for a second, think about the trauma that this man has probably experienced in his life. Right? He's not only a danger to others, he's a danger to himself. Whatever it was that had gripped him, it led him to self-abuse, bludgeoning himself with stones to deal with the internal pain that was going on inside of him. People's preference is to chain him, chain him up, right? Like a wild animal. But the scripture says that he shattered every shackle, every chain that was used to try to control him. Unable to bind or control him, they do what they think is the next best thing. What do you do to someone you can't bind or control? The next best thing is you just marginalize them. You just push them away. Out of sight, out of mind, you banish this guy among the tombs of the dead. This is what's happening in this text. And so for those of us that understand some of the, some of the Jewish stuff, the story just reeks of what the Bible calls uncleanness. Its setting is near a Gentile city, unclean. His banishment to the tombs broke Jewish law because you couldn't have any contact with the dead. Check. Unclean. There were pigs and pig farmers strictly forbidden by Jewish law. Check. Unclean. And doubly detested here because what Mark is trying to hint at is that these pigs were almost certainly being used and raised to feed the Roman colonial army that had occupied Palestine for 100 years since the time of Pompeii. Double check. Everything about this story just reeks of ritual uncleanness. Even the demon's name, catch this one, Legion carries both psychological and Gentile significance. Legion is not only speaks to the like multiple personalities or shattered personalities of this individual, it also was the largest unit in a Roman army, 6,000 Roman soldiers. So the grip of whatever possessed this man is equivalent, Mark says, to the death and destruction that 6,000 Roman soldiers can have. This place among the dead is a place that nobody in their right mind would ever want to go. So we have to ask the question, why does Jesus go there? He goes there. There's only one answer. Mark wants us to note this. Jesus goes there for one reason, to meet this tormented man. That's why he goes. This was what he had to do. And so this man sees Jesus coming at a distance. He runs, he prostrates himself, which is this act of reverence, perhaps even an act of worship. And this is fascinating. He knows exactly who Jesus is. He calls him the son of the most high. Fascinating because in Mark's gospel, yet the disciples don't even know who Jesus is. They don't get it. This guy gets it. He knows who Jesus is, but the ones closest to Jesus don't yet understand who this Jesus is. And so the Son of the Most High does the unthinkable. He receives the man, thus becoming unclean himself. Then we get to the weird part of the story. This battle ensues, Jesus versus the forces of evil that are gripping this man. But from the beginning, Mark wants us to say, like, the forces, these dark forces don't stand a chance. Jesus speaks a word. The man is healed. The, uh, the, the man begs for mercy, begging these, the legion beg for mercy. This is the super weird part. I heard a few groans when we got to the 2,000 pigs. 
that are grazing nearby. He grants this strange request. These crazed pigs hurl themselves off of a cliff and drown, right? Now, this part of the story, which we're going to spend about 30 seconds on, and that's it, um, it's embarrassing to modern readers, especially people that like animals. Like I heard Linda, there was like an audible groan when I said that, right? I, me too. It's, we, it's weird. Um, why are two, like what does God have against pigs? That was the question that I asked myself. Like what's, what's the big deal here? Um, and the truth is I'm not going to resolve the issue. There are some possible explanations, but Mark doesn't care about the answer to our modern questions about the pigs. The fact is... Um, that the Jews would have been pretty excited about this. The ending of the story would have been like, yeah, all the unclean things, they're all made cleaner, I guess. Um, but there were a few things that I did think about. Um, first, the unclean spirits go into these pigs who are drowned in the chaos of the waters. And like, that's what I mean. The, the original Jewish hearers of the story would have been cheering for this ending. This would have been awesome. They wouldn't have, had the, they wouldn't have come at the text the same way we do. They don't like pigs. Pigs are unclean. Okay? So they didn't really care about the pigs. We, we do. Second, just think about this for a second. I just learned this. Did anyone know pigs can swim? Did you know that? Pigs can swim. Well, you knew, yeah, someone knew that. I didn't. Anyway, we're moving on. Third, it's totally understandable as to why these people would be upset with Jesus, right? This is an economic catastrophe for these pig farmers. Their livelihood is gone. So the pig farmers run off. They were going to tell everyone what happened. People began showing up to see it for themselves. And what did they see? 2,000 dead pigs and a possessed man sitting, it says, clothed and sitting in his right mind. And what's their response? Anybody? They're afraid. They're afraid. They asked Jesus to leave. When God shows up in Jesus, most people just ask him to leave. It's fascinating. The healed man also begged Jesus, but he begged for something different. He wanted to be allowed to come with them. He wants to become a disciple. And surprisingly, Jesus says no and actually sends him on mission to his friends and his family. He was to share what the Lord had done, the mercy, mercy that Jesus had shown him. Um, and he said, Jesus says, go through the Decapolis, these 10 culturally Greek cities, and preach about Jesus. And when he did that, it says that people were amazed. This is, this is amazing. This healed demoniac is the first missionary sent by Jesus. Just think about that. Who is he? He's a Gentile sent to Gentiles. He's the wrong person sent to the wrong people. He's the first person that Jesus sends on mission. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. But the witnesses to the miracle, they're anything but amazed. They're afraid. And so in Mark's gospel, fear is always the opposite of faith. And in, this is another thing that got my attention. When they excommunicate Jesus, the region is not devoid of the gospel. Who's still there? This guy. This guy is still here. This man clothed and in his right mind is proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anyone who would listen. So I want to finish with a couple thoughts where my story intersects with this, new, uh, this scripture story. And what I learned personally was how poorly I had lived out the way of Jesus in my encounter with this man who was clearly troubled. When I first heard the man yelling, I knew that whoever it was, I was absolutely certain that in the context of me being with my children and my wife, 
that this was a person that I needed to avoid. I was absolutely certain of that. And then when I saw him with my own eyes, I was all the more convinced that I needed to be careful and to not engage, to avoid a confrontation. And so I'm rarely ever like this. So for people that know me, I'm not afraid. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of normally this, this kind of stuff. But for some reason, I was nervous in this scenario. This volatile guy. And this is what happened to me. I woke up the next morning super early. And I was laying there. And when, as soon as my eyes opened, this guy was on my mind. And I knew, like, I knew that it probably was likely that this man had been on my mind all night long. And I started thinking about, you know, I could tell God was trying to share something important with me. And one of the things I started thinking about was how we as society and human institutions, we impede the kingdom of God. What, what, what do we do? We ostracize, we segregate, we marginalize. If we can't understand something or control something, what do we do? We chain it, we cage it, and when that doesn't work, we push it further and further away, arm's length or much further. And so what we learn is that the kingdom of God takes root in the marginalized, in the outcast, in the seemingly insignificant. And this is just so, such simple stuff, but this is what I was thinking, that the kingdom of God values that, uh, those people that we push to the margins. And so Jesus is for those whom we do best, we do our best to keep them at a distance, those with whom we may even be said to be afraid. And so in my encounter with this man, what I realized was I, just, I got it wrong, right? I was afraid, and when I look back, I could compare myself to the pig farmers. I did everything I could to keep my family at a safe distance. But this is what got me. While we were trying to, while I was trying to create distance, Jesus was actively trying to close that distance. This is what I was learning. That the distance was closed in my encounter, not because of me, but actually probably because of a few things. My dog, um, Katie, who stopped. Um, and definitely because God was present and active and at work. And so in reflecting on this experience, I could hear the words of one of my modern-day heroes, Father G of Homeboy Industries. He always says this all the time. He says, when we stand with those on the margins, the margins get erased. I come back to that statement all the time. My dog, Winston, did not see the man like I did. Winston gave and received love freely. He didn't push the man away. He didn't try to keep him at arm's length. Winston was not afraid. In that moment, we witnessed, like, really this miracle of transformation. I don't have any idea how long this transformation lasted. Um, but here's what I do know. There was another transformation that I'm more certain of because it was mine. And so reflecting on the experience made me think about Jesus' words in Matthew 25 when he says that when we encounter the least of these who are Jesus' family, brothers, and sisters, the poor, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the outcast, we encounter none other than Jesus himself. And so as we're seeing that in Mark's gospel, when people encounter Jesus, they are made well. People are healed. And so when I was reflecting on this, I thought maybe the most important thing was when I, when I first met this man, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm encountering the person that I'm studying in scripture. I'm encountering the Gerasene demoniac. And later I realized that that's not who I was encountering. Who I had encountered was the risen Christ in this man. 
and that the miracle of healing happened not only in him, but also in me. And the proper response, Mark will say time and time again, the proper response to healing, the proper response to Jesus is not fear, but faith. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. Even when it confounds us and confuses us, uh, we're thankful, God, that where Jesus is present, we see healing and wholeness and people being made well. And God, we confess that we don't always do well. I confess that I do not always do well. And sometimes, God, we try to keep people at distance, people that we're afraid of. And God, we see in your word that you are actively trying to close that distance and you call us as people to close that distance with you, to join in that work that you are already about. God, give us the courage and the strength to join you in that work. Amen.